thank those of you online and those of you under the sound of my voice that may be listening to this later on. Thank you. I used to do that a lot many times before now, and I kind of stopped. I want to start doing it again to appreciate you for the messages you send to encourage us here. Many people send us messages from time to time, and it, it gladdens my heart. People from Canada, people from Africa, parts of Europe, all over the place. You can see at times when we publish our podcasts, uh, the nations of the world, where they have been listening to these. And I'm very encouraged because we're just in a small town in Walsall, in West Midlands, one of the smallest towns you can be in, in England. And uh, I want to thank God that in this very small place, as it were, this small town, God is enabling us to be able to reach uh, geographical regions beyond uh, the normal reach for us as it would have been. So we're very grateful, and I want to thank you for those encouraging words. I tell you, they go a long way to help us to just keep firing on. And it's similar to those who are in the house. I want to thank you for your encouragement, your commitment, and devotion to duty. Those of you that pray regularly for this great assignment, and those of you that do one thing or the other in the course of the week, and just help us to get the services and the mission going all the time. I say, to God alone be all the glory. To God alone be all the glory. In the mighty name of Jesus. We start our last series for 2022 today. Let's give the Lord a big hand. <laughs> Hallelujah. And my heart is indicting many great matters because this is a build-up. We're now home run to Christmas. Hallelujah. We are going to have eight parts in Psalm 19, looking particularly from verses 7 to 11. We will have this eight-part series that we will be looking at different topics from there, as God laid it on my heart. And we will be ending on the Christmas Day, which is the last Sunday this year. It's going to be the last Sunday of the year on uh, a great topic that God will be speaking to us as we round up the series. So I want to just ask us, I will ask media to kindly cooperate with me. I will tell you the scriptures to project. I will quote many. Don't try to chase me. You will not be able to catch up with me. But I will, I will tell you the ones that I want you to project in good time. So listen very carefully and let's do that. Do we want to appreciate our young men on the media consoles? Fantastic job. Fantastic job. Hallelujah where you see the broadcast and you see the things, and especially the quality last week and what we've been doing today, you cannot imagine the, the young people that God is using to, to make it happen, remotely and in the house. But we are thankful to God. We are thankful to God that it's all happening. And uh, I want to believe God. You see, let me tell you something. And this is a, a bit of a digression, but it, it laid, it's laid on my heart. Many people are undermining the church. I mean the church, the global church today. But I want to tell you, the skills that you learn by serving in the church help you much more than anything you can imagine. If you apply yourself, this media thing they are doing, if you know all the software and everything that they need to sync to make it work, if you apply yourself to learning it, you, you will learn digital skills that in your workplace you will be like a wonder if they use those things there. The management skills I use today in the workplace, my line manager, the PVC of my, of my institution, always says to me, David, you are so calm every time. Despite the challenges we have, you are always so calm. I will shake my head as if you know what it means. 
if you know my day-to-day, Sunday-to-Sunday job, <laughs> you will know why I'm always calm. Because I find that one very easy. This one, you are fighting devil, fighting. Okay, let's carry on. <laughs> oh, God of mercy. But the skill set, the management skill set, John Maxwell said, if you come to me and you say you are a CEO of 5,000 and you are employing 5,000 and you are this, you are that, the question I will ask you is, have you ever managed a group of volunteers that you are not paying for? If you say no, then, sorry? That you are not paying for, you are not paying for their services, you are not paying. He said, have you ever managed such? He said, if you say no, I will, he will say to such people, you have never managed. Because he has done both. He has been a pastor of a church today. He's a global speaker, one of the biggest leadership speakers of our time. In the person of John C. Maxwell, phenomenal man, phenomenal man. You listen to him for 30 minutes on leadership, you you, there's no way your brain will remain the same thing. Very deep. And one thing he said is that he would tell them, he used to tell them, if you can manage 10 people, 50 people that you are not paying salary for and you can keep them going in the work, come back and tell me that you have learned management. Because where anybody can gather people and be paying them salary, if, you are pay, if, I, if I have 1 million pounds to be paying people, you will see this place full. You will see it full when I have about 50 people who are paying, because they will be here every week, because they know that their salary will not be paid when you are not here. But when people come only because they love God, and they believe that God is encouraging them to serve, then just know that God is really with you. I cannot make any one of you here return next Sunday. I'm not saying you should not return. <laughs> you say, Pastor, I've been waiting to escape like this. <laughs> Thank you. But the truth is, I can't make you return here next Sunday. I can't. I don't have the power. I can dance and preach and do you drama, and you will still go where you want to go <laughs> if you want to. So the thing that brings you back here is beyond you, is beyond me. The thing that gives me power to be here, Sunday in Sunday, is beyond you, is beyond me. The thing that helps these life singers, week in, week out, let's appreciate life singers, let's appreciate them. Week in, week out, some Fridays, praise night, and then we're going to have celebrate the king, all this kind of thing, is beyond every one of us. And that is what this series is all about. To tap into that power the more. The series is titled Prosperity by Fruitfulness. Let's give the Lord a big hand. One of the things I want to do before I leave this world, as much as God helps me till my dying day, however that however long that is, is to continue to correct some of the errors. I'm not calling myself anything, but having spent five decades in church, born into church, seen church in different continents, three different continents, three different generations as it were now, and the errors of the past decades that I've seen, some fantastic stuff we have done in church life, beautiful, and we are still doing, but in the last three decades or so that I personally can recollect from the 80s we started to take some very big steps that got us the crowd, but gave us a crowd that were not really disciples. And I want to believe God that however God strengthens me and helps me, we will continue to preach those things. Whether we see 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, it doesn't matter. Whatever number we see. God told me on September 1, 2013, 
when the first service of this church was to be held. He said, whenever you say whatever you see, eight or eighty, he said, I brought them, preach the word. That is why I am not moved by numbers. I am moved by making sure that we are delivering the mandate. And the mandate, one of the things we're going to be correcting is the message of prosperity. One of the cardinal vision objectives of this church is to raise with God a people of kingdom prosperity. Many people have used this word prosperity in many erroneous ways, and it has caused us more problems than it ought to. Prosperity is a kingdom principle that God himself established. You will find the word prosper, good success in the Bible. You will find the words that you may have abundance in the Bible. But what it means and how God wants us to have it have been shifted from God's original intention in many ways. And this is one of the things that this series will be helping us to do. Today, we are going to start with a theme I call conversion of the soul. Prosperity of a man starts with the prospering of his soul. The Bible says that you may prosper even as your soul prospers. Be in health and prosper even as your soul prospers. Psalm 19, I would like media to help me with the verses 7 to 11, and I'll show you how we're going to have the eight topics in this eight-part series, for this month, for next month. Psalm 19, we're going to read from verse 7. Thank you. The first one we are dealing with today says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That is where we have got the theme for today and this week, conversion of the soul. Say with me, conversion of the soul. The second topic is from the second section of this verse. It says the testimony, that is for next Sunday, of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The theme for next week is wisdom for the humble. Say with me, wisdom for the humble. Let's go to verse 8. I just want you to see how the themes, we're still going to be revisiting them, but just see how it it stacks up. And then verse 8 says, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Say with me, a joyful heart. That will be session three by the grace of God. And then the fourth one says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Everybody say with me, the power of insight. That will be session four on the 27th of November by the grace of God. And then we'll go into December and verse nine. Verse nine, the Bible says in verse nine, verse nine, verse nine. Thank you. Verse nine. Okay, it says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Somebody says spiritual stamina. And then we keep going. It says, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous. I'm still in verse 9, thank you. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Somebody say with me, uh, the, the judge, God's righteousness, God's judge, judge, judgment of righteousness. I'm trying to remember the actual phrase that is there, but that's, that will be the theme. God's judgment of righteousness or the righteous judge. The righteous judgments of God. That is it. The righteous judgments of God. Say it with me. The righteous judgments of God. Do you know that you can judge God? <clears throat> and before you stone me, 
Say, so what did he say? I judge God? Yes, you can judge him. But you are permitted to judge him only one way. Judge him what? As all. Any other judgment, you are, you are at the risk of your life. <laughs> the Bible says, and Sarah judged God faithful. So when you judge God faithful, you are in his books. If you judge him otherwise, I don't, I don't have advice for you. <laughs> so the righteous judgments of the law, the Bible says, the psalmist said they are true and righteous altogether. Whatever he does is beautiful. So that would be that theme for that week. And then the seventh topic is in verse 10. Verse 10. It says, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter, than, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Say with me, godly de- developing godly desires. So that would be the theme number seven. And then finally, on Christmas week, by the grace of God, we go to verse 11. And the Bible says, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Somebody say, good news to all. Good news to all. And that is message of Christmas as well. The Bible says, good news to all men. And so I've given you, I know you couldn't have captured all that, but when you revisit the video again, Please make sure you note those eight topics very well. Today we are looking at conversion of the soul, which is from Psalm 19, verse 7a, as I have quoted before. To convert is to change something from either a character, to change a character, to change a type of something or the purpose to another. That is the simple word of convert. And when it says the law of the Lord is perfect, it's talking about the word of God. You see, when these words were written, they didn't have the Bible. The psalmists did not have the Bible to, to put the words, but they had the law. Many of them had access to the law. They knew the Torah. And so many of the times when they want to talk about the word of God, they call it the book of the law. They call it the law of the Lord. But basically what they are saying and what we should be saying and calling it is the word of God because now we have the full Word which encompasses the law, the prophetic, and all the epistles, and all the uh, gospels, and all the epistles that they contain. So we know that it is the word of God. It is perfect. Somebody say it's perfect. This means that it does not need any help whatsoever. Remember, we talked about the uncontainable word of God last time. Uh, That was about uh, two Sundays ago. But it is perfect. It is perfect, like God is perfect. Matthew 5, 48 tells us God is perfect. So we must understand that the word of God is perfect. You don't doubt the word of God. If you don't understand it, you go back to the author and you pray. And he opens your eyes to understand what the word is saying. Last week we were looking at some interesting scriptures that says when you are slapped to the left, turn the right. And so on and so forth. When you take a cloak, give them even your tunic. What does that mean? How can That does not follow the logic of man. But the word of the Lord is perfect. And when we go to him, he makes us to understand that. He's not asking you to be allowing everybody everywhere to be slapping you. But what he's asking you to do is to make sure that you are not responding in the language of the carnal. The carnal man is the man who slaps. And I say this physically here and on cyberspace. If you are a man that beats your wife, you are a carnal man. You are a carnal man. You are, you are not born again. 
You are not born again. You think you are, but you are not. If you are born again, you don't slap your wife. Hallelujah. That is not in my message, but I felt like saying it all the same. (laughs) Hallelujah. In the Old Testament, this Hebrew word converted just simply means to turn back or return. At times you will see it used as repent. Paul talked in Acts 2, 38. It talks about repent and be baptized, every one of you. Repent and be baptized. And at times you will see it as the restore. It talks about restore. Thank you. Peter said to them, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. In Psalm 23, verse 3. Psalm 23, verse 3. It is used, the same word that the psalmist used as restore. Thank you, media. Psalm 23, verse 3. It says, he restores my soul. That is the, the same word. He converts my soul. He leads me. When he converts it, when he turns it back to what it ought to be, it means my soul is going astray, but he calls me and restores my soul, and then that leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake, so that I continue to give him glory. The prodigal son turned away and went away. There was no glory he was giving to the father as he was living a stupendous life, lavish life, foolish life, living without the guidance of the father anymore. Until he came to himself, the Bible says, and he said one day, how many of my father's hired servants are living in better, eating better, living better, and I stay here suffering. I will go back. Somebody say he repented. Somebody say his soul, his soul was restored. And he went back to the father's house. And then the ring was put on him. The robe was put on him again. His natural royal state was reinstated. So when the soul of man wanders away, the psalmist said he restores it. And this is where prosperity, true prosperity, is starting from. Every one of us must understand that when the Bible talks about repentance... It means that he's bringing us, or when he's talking about conversion, it means that he's bringing us to the place where he wanted man to be from the beginning. Thank you for the scripture. You remember, the Bible says that there was a time in, in the Garden of Eden, God looked at man and created him in his image and after his likeness. Somebody said perfection. That was the man he created. Many times I look and I say, why does God love man so much? He loves man so much because when he looks at man, he sees himself. The only thing that, uh, that does not make him glad totally is that he sees a perverted version of himself until that person is yielded to the sacrifice of his son. But today, when he looks at you and I, he sees himself. Hallelujah. Why? Because Not because of who we are or the color of skin we have or anything we have but because we have been washed and sanctified by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. And so when he looked at us, when he looks at us, that is what he sees. This is why God is so mindful of man. The psalmist said, why? Who is man that you are so mindful of him? Or the son of man that you should take so much knowledge of him. Every one of us must understand that we are vitally created in God's hands. And he is very mindful of our matters. We all know by now that man is a spirit. Let me say with me, man is a spirit. He has a soul. And he lives in a body. So every one of us, when we get born again, 
2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that when we are born again, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. All things have passed away, thank you, and all things have become new. All things have passed away, all things have become new. What gets transformed in this way is your spirit man. Your spirit man, everyone who is born naturally carries a spirit that is not yet made alive. The same way it was in the original Adam who stood before God and until God breathed into him and then he became a living soul, it's the same way the spirit of a natural man is not yet made alive, is not yet quickened. When a person becomes born again, that dead state is put aside and a new life is infused into the spirit of man immediately. Then that spirit starts to hear the Holy Spirit. The only thing the Holy Spirit speaks to an unregenerated mind and, 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 a, and a soul and a spirit man that is yet to be saved is the appeal to be born again. Every other thing that person hears is from their carnal mind. They are under the carnal mind and react to the carnal mind and everything. And this is why the boundaries of morality can be crossed because a carnal mind can be moral. It can have some degree of morality, but it still cannot be subjected to the Holy Spirit's check that makes it impossible for some things that look good, even though they are within the boundaries of morality and immorality, it still cannot be subjected until a person is born again. That is when that person hears the voice behind him saying, this is the way, walk in it. Such a person becomes born again, their spirit becomes automatically made alive. And then the Holy Spirit starts to bear witness, Romans 8.14, starts to bear witness with their spirit that they are the true sons of God. But I want us to go straight to uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2 tells us that we're going to come back to it, but I want us to read it now. Let's go. And do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So this spirit man that is born again has a duty to continue to walk with God, to allow himself to have his mind to be transformed. So the conversion of the soul is an ongoing process. The day you got born again, the soul starts a journey of conversion that will last your entire lifetime. It will last till you leave this world. Your spirit man is 100%, is born again, is guaranteed and assured of heaven. But your soul, your mind, the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. So he's talking to believers. He said to the Romans, he said, do not be conformed to this world. Because there is a spirit in the world that wants people conformed to a particular kind of norm that may not necessarily be godly. It may be moral, but it may not be godly all the time. He said, don't be conformed to it, but be transformed. How? By renewing your mind. So the renewal of the mind and the conversion of the soul is what we want to make emphasis on today. And then the body that we have continues to degrade. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 to 17. That body as we are, as you grow older, you will continue to see that your body is degrading. Your body is showing signs of aging, no matter who you are and no matter how rich you are. Hallelujah. 
when I went to bury my, my, my biological father last year when he went to be with the Lord uh, in the month of uh, August, but we went, buried him in September, and we traveled down, and I saw some of his mates that were able to come to the burial. And I said, oh, oh how time flies. And I remember them in their 40s when we were kids. I remember those men in their 40s. They dressed. They dressed. They came to church. You knew they had arrived. <laughs> and we used to look at them. You know, they were like our heroes. Our father, my father was just about, you know, 40, 30 something, 40 that time. And, uh, you know, and I just, and I saw these men. Some of them have aged so much. And I said, wow, how time truly flies. Though I saw one of them that was very impressed. He, was <laughs> he still stood as tall as he was. And I said to him, sir, I am impressed. Because he's about 83 now. But, you know, he still stood the way he used to stand those days. But the truth is that our natural bodies will degrade. They will degrade. Why are they degrading? First Thessalonians 4, 16, verse 17. Because there is a body that we are going to all carry one day that will not be this body. This body has to go back to where it came from. This body did not come from heaven. It is earthly. It is earthly. The Bible says a day will come. Let's go together now. Thank you. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17. Verse 17. He said, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be with the Lord. We are going to be caught up and we are going to be like him. We are going to be exactly like him. We are going to put on a heavenly body which is celestial. And from that day till forever, we will be looking exactly like him and we shall be with the Lord. So this natural body must of a necessity continue to, I know some people don't like to hear it, but it must continue to degrade. So when you look in the mirror and you see some marks like that, don't, don't, don't feel bad. You are just obeying a natural law. <laughs> don't say what is happening here. <laughs> you are just obeying a natural law. And the Bible says, but your inner man will continue to be transformed and renewed day by day. Your soul continues to be more heavenly. Your body continues to be more earthly because of a necessity. One is going up. One must stay down. So don't try to put the one that should stay down. Don't try to keep putting it up at the expense of this one that wants to go up. When you are so concerned about what you will eat, what you will wear, your cosmetics, your layer one, layer two, layer... <laughs> Hallelujah. You are so concerned about it. You have not read your Bible, but you have put five layers of whatever on your face before going out. The spirit man, is, the soul is saying, help me, I want to be transformed. I want to be transformed. I want to look more like God. That's what I should be. The spirit is telling me, I want to look more like God. You say, no, I don't have time for that. Stay where you are now. And then you are pumping up your body. And then you, you know, you are missing the point. What God wants you to do is take care of that body as best as you can. And then, but every day, make sure that this soul is being renewed, is being transformed to be more like him. Because the Bible says that he is cleansing us by the washing of the water by the word. 
He said, Jewish husband, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it so that he might cleanse her and sanctify her by the washing of the water by the word. So every day you feed your soul the word of God. And I'm going to show us the three aspects of our soul and how we can be feeding it to in line with the word of God and the will of God. So every one of us must understand that he who called us is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, we know very well that he wants our spirit, soul, and body to be purely sanctified. Say with me, my soul is the seat of my will, my intellect, and my emotions. Thank you for that. First Thessalonians 5.23 said that may the God of peace himself sanctify you how? Completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what we read in First Thessalonians 4.17? He says that when he comes, you shall be like him. Your spirit is already in his image. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Just hold this scripture. For 2 Corinthians 5.17, your spirit is already in his image. Your soul is being transformed. So he is the God of peace now is working on your soul to be transformed completely. And then your body is degrading, your physical body is degrading in preparation and readiness for the coming of the Lord. And that day, the three of them will be brought to equity. Your spirit that has already been there communicating with the Holy Spirit all the time is at par with the Holy Spirit all the time. Your soul that is coming up throughout your lifetime, trying to catch up, trying to catch up. And then your body, this earthly body that has left so that you can take on the celestial, all of them fused together, they become a new being completely at the appearing of the Lord. That is why Paul said, I pray that the God of peace himself will sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But before that time, please say to your neighbor for me, I am work in progress. And you are work in progress too. So we have no right to judge one another. The Bible says all we need to do is to keep sharpening one another. My work is to encourage you to have a better work with God. Your work is to encourage me to have a better work with God. I have no, no right whatsoever. The ch- one of the things the church has done erroneously is that we have taken the place of the judge. <laughs> that God did not send us. So somebody goes off, they do something completely wrong. I grew up in that kind of system. They punish you, and I mean it. I'm not saying it, they meant well, not that they were bad. They meant well. They thought that was the way to sanctify the church. But in a way, that is working by power and by by might, by flesh. What we need to sanctify one another is the pure word of God. The Bible says the word, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect, converting the soul. So when somebody commits a sin or falls into error, what the church should do is to bring such a person, admonish them, encourage them, and let them understand what they need to do to make sure that that device of the devil doesn't catch up with them again. And then you teach them the word of God and teach them the word of God. But what we have done before, we have used things like exclusion, we have used things like discipline, which may look okay in themselves, but many of those things have pushed people away rather than bringing them to the Lord. Don't forget, Jesus Christ never ever condemned anyone that came to him. Never. 
The woman with the, 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 the caught in adultery, she was red hot caught in adultery. And the Bible says they were about to stone her. Jesus would have said, why not carry on, stone her, what's my own? The Lord says stone, <laughs> stone, so you just carry on. No, the Bible says he said to them, if you are here and you are without a sin, he said, you cast the first stone. And one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, that's what the Bible says. I like that. The oldest to the youngest, the older people quickly reason. You know what? But you know, the younger people, maybe they were still justifying themselves. No, I, I don't have sin. <laughs> ah, but I think I have sin. No, I don't have sin. <laughs> the oldest people, as soon as they had that, they say, ah, no, that can't pass. <laughs> they dropped their stones and went away. Anyway, that's just a joke. But the reality is that the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they left. And then the woman Jesus turned to her and said, has no one condemned you? He said, none, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That is proper church discipline. We don't condemn, but we encourage not to sin again by giving the person the word of God and the admonition and the encouragement from scripture that should help them. I have not got to my message yet, so you help me today. I'm just, I'm just warming up. You know, when you wake up those days, when you have a car, you warm up for about five minutes. We didn't used to have cars like this that you just enter and start going. When I started driving, if you don't warm your car for about 10 minutes, <laughs> it will stop on the road. <laughs> That's the way we used to drive. In my dad would say, go out and warm my car for me. <laughs> oh, God of mercy. I, I got into my car this morning. I was surprised. I just put the thing on and it zoomed off like that. I said, God of mercy. How times have changed. I remember when I first, how oh, can I move like that? There's no way. <laughs> if you move like that, five minutes you stop. <laughs> the car will just stop. Say, I'm not warm now. Why are you? <laughs> oh, God of mercy. The truth is that every one of us has a responsibility as the body of Christ to continue to help in the conversion of the soul. I have a duty to make sure that everyone that encounters me has a converted soul. You have a duty to make sure that everyone that encounters you has a converted soul. So we sharpen one another. I give you my strengths. You look at the areas that you can help me, and then you give me your strengths. You give me your counsel there. One of the reasons why pastors have fallen and failed in the last few decades of our history in the church is we have presented pastors on this pedestal of glory that they are infallible and that they cannot commit error. So secretly, many of those men and women are dying inside, rotting up because there is nobody that can speak into their lives. Every one of us must understand that till we see him, we are only performing different roles. Thank God for leadership. Thank God for those things. And I believe in respect, honoring, and all the things the Bible talks about. But we must all understand that we are accountable one to another. I am accountable to you under God. You are accountable to me under God. We are accountable to one another under God. So every one of us must continue to encourage one another. If you are supposed to do something that I expect you to do, and you just don't do it, you are not helping my faith. Understand, I'm a pastor. By the grace of God, I've been a Christian for many years. And I know those things. But the reality is that if you just don't do what you ought to be doing, you are not helping my faith. And I must be honest with you. I love you. It has not changed anything. But the truth is, you have a duty 
The same way, I cannot just come here. Have you ever seen me come here, put pieces of paper and say, where is John chapter 5? Maybe it is uh, this. Actually, I can't find the scripture. Let us go to, let us sing, choir, come and sing. Have you ever seen me do that on a Sunday? No, no. I prepare hours to to do this one-hour meeting sessions. I prepare hours. Then after preparing hours, he will give me a three-hour message that I have to shrink down to one hour. (laughs) I prepare a lot because I understand that if I mess up here, it will take him nothing to replace God, yeah. People say, oh, I don't want to do something. Hey, with God, it takes him a few seconds to find this next person that is available. The day we came for this building, my wife was the one that met the landlord. The landlord said some pastors had come here before. Now, I'm not mocking anybody. I don't know. Thank God I don't know who they are. He never told us who they are. He never told us, so I'm, I don't know anybody. But this is the real story. He said, so they came here before and they said, ha, ah, it's too big for us. Or we cannot cope with it. And some of those people were people, as I understand, with already networks that they were part of churches of networks. We were a new church, never existed, just being born. And I was not there, I was in Dubai. I said to my wife, tell the man we need it, we want it, we're going to take it. She said to me, Has, do you know how much it costs? I said, I don't know how much it costs. God said, it is available. And that was good enough. And the rest, as they say today, is history. If you don't move to do what God says you should do, it costs God nothing to replace anybody. I heard one of my mentors say, he said, you see all those assistant pastors? This was many years ago. He said, do you know how the people who are on the sidelines in in a football match are praying that one leg of one person should break? (laughs) Because some of them have been going match after match after match after match. They never feel them. And some of them may be dangerous believers that will say, Lord, I just need one leg broken small. (laughs) Don't break it too much. Just break it small. (laughs) So that I can showcase my talent. Lord, you know that I cannot showcase this if I'm not on the pitch. God will say, my son, I hear you. So he will just look for one small hammer (laughs) and touch the knee of one. That was, ah! They bring him out. Then they bring this believer that's been. <laughs> it's just a joke. But the truth is, the day Elijah said, I'm tired, God said, Go and anoint Elisha. God never argues with anybody. Oh, why, why? You be saying, Oh, please. Ah, never. God say, ah, Please, I don't want you to go. I don't want you not to do. No. So I am diligent at this duty because I understand that if I want my life to be correct, what he asked me to do, I must do it diligently. So I'm begging everybody here. We all have challenges. We all have challenges. If I, if I tell you how much I need to work to, make, to meet the different needs all over the world that I have to be meeting every month repeatedly, including the work of the church here. So don't tell me. To, we all have challenges. So I want us all to come up and be encouraging one another that we understand that our willpower, our, in, our intellect, and our emotions will need to grow as we contribute to one another in the spirit of love and unity. And I pray God will give us understanding in the mighty name of Jesus. True prosperity involves the, involves the new birth. It involves our health and well-being. 
it involves our wealth. True prosperity is not just about wealth. True prosperity must start with a new birth. It must also involve our health and well-being and also wealth. Basically, all these things are needed for the sake of the kingdom. For the sake of the kingdom. Think about it very well. If I'm not born again, I cannot do what I'm doing. Otherwise, I'll be a hireling. May God not let you have a hireling pastor. In the name of Jesus. There are many today. There are many all over the world. They are the type that will come and tell you, so 1,000 and 5,000 will enter your account. They are hirelings. They are thieves. They are not of God. If I don't have, by the grace of God, a physical well-being to be able to have strength, stamina, good health, I cannot do this job. You cannot because this job demands that you sleep less. It demands, especially if you operate like me, where you function in other areas of life in, to the glory of God, fairly top levels, significant responsibility. You must be sound. You must be sound in your mind. Otherwise, you will go to a meeting where they should be talking about policy of the UK government and you'll be talking Psalm 23. <laughs> you'll mix it all up. <laughs> and then when you get to church and you should be preaching, you say, actually, you know what is happening <laughs> according to the department for... <laughs> no, 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 no. You'll be mixing it all up. And then, of course, your physical health. And then resources. Resources. A a, a Christian needs to have, and I'm not talking about stupendous wealth now. Thank God for that, if God brings it. But you need to have a degree of wealth. You need to have a degree of resources into your hands that allows you to do things, allows you to get to church, allows you to contribute to the things of God, allows you to be a blessing to people, allows you to take care of your family, allows you to take care of your parents, allows you to do things. It is God's will. Say with me, it is God's will that I prosper even as my soul prospers. So the message of prosperity is not a message of the devil. In fact, it is the devil trying to tell the church because of the errors of the past that it is a message from him. Every one of us must understand that God's desire is that we are able to serve him very well. Joshua 1.8, we read very well. I would like us to read it again today to look at the significance of the word of God in linking, us, linking it to our prosperity. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. The Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. I've always said to you, there is a difference between success and good success. Good success is success that includes God. Success is not a destination. Success is a journey. So good success is one that has success with eternal life perspective. That is what makes it good success because it does not end here. That kind of success takes you to the life hereafter 
when your soul is now sanctified completely. It takes you to the life after. So God said to Joshua, keep meditating on this book of the law and then observe to do according to all that is written therein. There are two different things. James came and he said, don't just be one who observes it and is not doing it. Don't be a hearer alone, but be a doer because it is in the doing that you are able to connect to the promise of good success or the promise of making your way prosperous and having good success. It is in understanding that he said, I should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things shall be added to me that I do. on a consistent basis to seek first his kingdom, to be a pursuer of God, to walk in line with his will and purpose, that I am able to link myself to the promise of his success. So every one of us must understand that it is important that we intentionally do the word of God. The power of God is released to us as we meditate. As we meditate, this process helps us to have a transformed soul. What does it mean to meditate? You look into it, You read it, you think about it, then you apply it. You apply it to your life intentionally. I want you to understand that. You apply it to your life intentionally. Most of the time, what the Bible places a demand on does not always agree with your mind. You have to allow yourself to meditate on it and let it take your mind. So the way you speak, you listen to what you are saying. When what you are saying does not agree with the word of God, you go back to the word of God, meditate on the word of God. He said, let the weak say, I'm strong. When you find yourself so easy to say, I'm just feeling weak. Everywhere around me is just weak, weak, weak. And then somebody around you say, but why are you saying that? The Bible says, don't tell me what Bible says. I say, I'm feeling weak. (laughs) Don't, Don't fight it. Go back to the word of God. Go back to the word of God. Learn about people like the Shunammite woman and those other people who said it is well when their children were dying. Learn about the woman with the issue of blood who was still having the flow but was already saying, if I may but touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be made whole. Go and read into their life, drink into their story and find yourself speaking exactly like them. This is how a mind is transformed. A mind is not transformed simply by wishing. You read it. You apply it. You do it. When the bank account is not looking like it, you say, I know my Redeemer lives. You say, I know that God supplies all my needs according to his riches in glory. Then he starts to show you ways that you did not know before, things that you did not think about before as to how God can help you to create good wealth around you. In the year 2006, I started to see that there were many things I needed to do abroad. And uh, I said to God, I said, Lord, you can only earn so much in this country and do so much. Then God showed me, he said, because I'm a, I'm a consulting engineer that I can take my company and register it in Nigeria as well and collaborate with people. And when we have those collaborations, I can earn money in Nigeria, pay all the taxes, do all the things and make that money work for me in Nigeria. And I'm like, oh, I never thought of that. And just by simple wisdom of partnership, I began to partner with people until I think it was 2013 that I felt it was enough (laughs) after some of our projects were not paid on time and so on. And then I saw that somehow God was moving away from that. So I didn't put much emphasis on it again. But within that period, I made a, a lot of good income that helped me very well to develop the country because, like I said, a lot of the corporate tax and things could be paid in that country at that time. And also, it was able to solve some of the problems therein, including charitable activities. 
There are times God will show you how to go. And I pray God will show you how to go. In the mighty name of Jesus. At times he will tell you things about your health and mental well-being. He will show you things that you need to be reading and things that you need things that you need to be eating, things that you need to be doing to keep yourself healthy and active. May the Lord continue to help us. So the three aspects of our life, our will, very quickly I'll touch on this before we break bread today. Our will. God wants our willpower to be submitted to his will. Our will is naturally not like his. Isaiah 55 verse 8. Our thoughts and the way we do things are not like him. The Bible says, for my, Isaiah 58, verse 8, let's go to verse 10. Sorry, Isaiah 55, 55, verse 8. Isaiah 55, verse 8. That's good enough. Isaiah 55, 8. Thank you. Let's read that together. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Now, I know we know these scriptures, but i like us to ponder on them in the context of what we are saying. God has a set of thoughts. He said that they are not like our own set of thoughts. So, and the same thing, he has ways, and he said that they are not like our own ways. It means that we must come and reason with him. This is what he said in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. We must bring our way of thinking and our thoughts and our ways, the things we understand, we must bring it to him and reason with him. Isaiah 1, verse 18 to verse 19. He said, come now and let us reason together. He said, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Isaiah 1, 18, thank you. They shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Verse 19. He says, if you are willing and obedient you shall eat of the good of the land. You want to enjoy the prosperity that I have provided from the beginning when I created man in my own image to be free from the afflictions of life, to be a person who will be above sin, to be a person who will not respond to the devil. You want to live that kind of life, you need to be willing to come and consider my ways. You see, naturally, we willfully walk in sin and rebellion. This is a natural tendency of human beings. But God's will for us is that we are holy and obedient. Naturally, we walk in unforgiveness. You don't have to teach somebody how to be unforgiving. It's a natural tendency. You teach people about forgiveness because naturally people are vindictive. People will not just know how to forgive. So, his will is that we walk in love and forgiveness. Last week, we looked at being selfless because naturally we are selfish. We have a tendency to think of ourselves, to think of ourselves better than others. But we must not live like that and we must be people who walk in selflessness because that is his will for us. Jesus showed us like we read last week in Luke chapter 22, verse 41 and 42, how to submit your will. Luke 21, 41 to 22, 41 to 42. Luke 22, Luke 22, verse 41 to 42. He showed us how. The Bible says he withdrew from them at a stone's throw and he knelt down and he did what? Are you still following me? He knelt down and he did what? He prayed. Prayer is powerful. Look at what he prayed, verse 42. And every one of us must learn this prayer. He says what? Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me, but nevertheless, not my will, 
but yours be done. So we must learn how to allow our will to be submitted to his will. Peter showed us in Luke 5 when he was trying to catch fish. He said, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Even though his natural way of thinking did not align with that. My point is this. Every one of us must understand that the way we achieve the fullness of God in prospering and in being able to do the things he has called us to do is don't look at your will. Many times your will will say you are tired. He will tell you that you have too many things. He will tell you that you cannot make it. Your will will say, look at you. You are, you are this age. You have not reached this. You have not achieved that. And so on. And your will will start to see how you are, you are unwilling to do what God has called you to do. But when you say, Lord, never the And then God is saying to you, come on, my son, you can still achieve it. Come on, my daughter, you can do this. Come on, my son, you can get here. And then you will see that as you submit your will to his will, he starts to infuse into you the ability to do what he is willing for you to do. One thing the will of God does is that he doesn't just tell you that this is my will, but he also supplies the grace for you to do his will. The moment Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, every strength he needed to go to the cross was there. That is why not once again did we hear him say, but Father, I'm praying that you should take this cup away from me. Because by the grace of God, he was now able to go to the cross. Everyone must understand, if you are looking at your natural limitations all the time, and you are looking at your situation of life, you will never, ever be able to do the things God has called you to do. I'm telling you this truth. Life will always have challenges. Oh, it's the devil that tells you that if only you finish this level of your challenge. When I came to this country, my salary was 500 pounds a month. I know that it was still a bit decent then, but even with all the decency as it was then, it's the equivalent of about 1,200 today. Maybe 1,100, something like that. Because my, the rent was taking about half of it. That time, this is a rent, this is a, this is not a three-bedroom house. It's a studio flat. Studio flat. <laughs> this one that you enter and your whole house is in your full glory. Your kitchen is in one corner, your bedroom is in one corner. It was, I never saw a house like that until I came to this country. I said, wonderful. I entered, I said, where is the kitchen? The, the landlord said, see that corner, that's your kitchen. I said, oh, wow. I said, but the bed is here. He said, yeah, that's the bedroom. And then behind the door, I saw the couch. He said, that's your living room. <laughs> Everything in one room. But that's where we started. And I remember how those days, it was not easy. Coming from the background we came from in Africa with all the glamour, the glitz. Somebody said the glitz. The glamour. If you know my life, as a 28-year-old, engineer in Nigeria, driver will be waiting for me. One airport, one driver. I was living the life. <laughs> the one that took me to this airport will take care of my bag, make sure everything is okay, run some errands for me in this particular city, and attend some, uh, drop some letters because we didn't have emails those days, do some errands, drop some letters around, wait for me at the airport. Another driver is waiting 1,000 kilometers away in Lagos to pick me up. And then now I will run and collect my bag when I'm coming off the plane and just collect my bag. Say, sir, you are welcome. Your flight was slightly delayed, but this is your itinerary. Blah, 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 blah. And me too, I'll be following like that. <laughs> 28 years old. 
I called my wife one day. I said, I don't think this is a real life here. <laughs> but that was the life we were coming from. And I suddenly get here. The landlord gave me one, uh, <laughs> one washing machine. That washing machine is from hell. <laughs> I said, how does it work? He said, you'll be putting one, one pound. I didn't know. I would load the thing. I put one pound. Before I reach the door, it would be beeping, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> I say, ah, you have chopped my one pound. I'll put another one. I'll be going again. Before I reach the room, I'll hear pee, pee, pee. I told my wife, I said, there's a devil of a washing machine. <laughs> He's a devourer. <laughs> it's not a washing machine. It's a devourer. <laughs> so I used to take my clothes, put it in the bathtub, and did what my mother taught me. <laughs> when my mother taught me how to wash like this, where you... <laughs> I went to look for detergent. I bought detergent. I said, thank God. That's how I saved myself from that machine. <laughs> but you know something? I find that there were a lot of limitations that time. If I look at my life that time, I will not be serving God because there were too many constraints. But I was a unit cell leader in my church. They had house, house fellowship. And then one day the pastor called me and said, start preaching. I didn't expect it. He said, start preaching. So I started preaching like that. In the church. My point is this, brethren, submit your will all the time. Like Jesus Christ, you will wish that the cup passes over you from time to time. I tell you, I tell you, no matter who you are, you will wish that something just changes and you can't do this. But he who called you is faithful and who also will do it in the mighty name of Jesus. For those of you just coming into the country, I know how challenging it can be. Don't think, don't think that one is unmindful of those challenges but I want to encourage you, don't look at those challenges everybody face them everybody face them if you have come from another country to live in another person's country you will go through a few hurdles but just keep your focus on God and keep trusting God don't let go of God don't let go of kingdom service keep saying not my will but your will and watch God take over in the name of Jesus. Number two, our intellect. Our intellect. And I'll start to rush this now because of time. Of course, this is the seat of our creativity and productivity. We know this from our previous sessions. This is the faculty of our reasoning and understanding. This is the faculty of our reasoning, understanding, and objectivity. Especially in matters that are, you know, not easy to understand. Abstract matters. So intellectual prowess is developed as we are able to understand those things. Now, every human being can develop intellectually by just simply reading and applying themselves to the principles of this earth. But if you want the eternal life type of intellectual development that not only gives you success in this world, but even in the life hereafter, then you must apply the principles of scripture. Praise the Lord. Mark chapter 8 verse 36. The Bible says, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Mark chapter 8 verse 36. Mark chapter 8 verse 36. Of what profit shall it be to a man if he gains the whole world but yet he loses his own soul? Let's not be like that man who said, My soul rejoice and then God said today your soul will be demanded from you thank you what shall it profit a man 
if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. Anybody who develops intellectually without Christ can achieve anything and gain the whole world, but the danger of losing their own soul is still there. So as believers, we must understand that by the grace of God, we have encountered Christ and our soul must continually be renewed. But we must also understand that we should apply ourselves to the things of this world, the principles that will help us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and verse 9. Paul said, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report. I'm reading Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He said, if there be any virtue and there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You develop intellectually by thinking. Somebody say, by thinking. You must be a thinker. But don't just think like the standard scientist or standard artist or standard sportsman or standard health care professional or whatever it is you do. Don't just think like the natural man. Think in line with the word of God. First, let the Bible be your basis of your thoughts. Then you apply yourself to the things that are good, the things that are pure, the things that are just, the things that are noble. That way you start to find yourself developing. You see, the more you develop intellectually, the more capacity you gain to be able to be ahead of others. One of the things that our... Our, our generation is lacking is the ability to concentrate and read for a long time. It is diminishing by the day. It has a positive and a negative connotation. Positive in the sense that we are now able to read quicker, assimilate quickly, small information per time in many ways every day, which is fine. But that is making us more surface and shallow than before. Before, you had only one book you don't go online and then you are reading this book, another one pops up and another article pops up. Those distractions, were not, <laughs> they are not here. They are not there those days. So you have only that one book and you are reading it and you read it well. You read it deep. Those days I used to read books and make notes from them because I know that I may pass that book to somebody else and I still have my notes. But now that you can have e-books and everything, you can find yourself reading five books at a time like me, and only just reading them and reading them. But if you want to read them deep, they can take you longer time. But the point is, whatever you are doing, keep reading. Keep reading. Paul said in Philippians 4.9, he said, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Don't run away from challenges. One of the things that distinguishes business people and, and, and leaders is the fact that they are people who are willing to take on challenges that others are running away from. When you find yourself in a team and there is a problem, don't just be like everybody, say, ah, we can't do this, this is too tough, everybody is backing out, and you too, you back out. You are a child of God, be like Daniel, be like Joseph. Say, Lord, what is the key to this thing? That may mean you're leaving that position. If God opens your eyes to see and develops your intellectual prowess when he tells you, go and read about this, go and study about this. These days you can do even a lot of reading by just driving. Do you know that? You are just driving and a book is reading to you. Those days we didn't have that. Now you can do that. Now you can read. You can find a lot of information very easily. So make yourself a learner. 
Paul said, the things you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, do them. Intellectual capacity does not just answer to prayer. You pray, your memory is blessed. Then you go and read. You go and study. If you are in a field of endeavor and you want to move up, you must have the latest language. Every profession has the latest language every time. The buzzwords. So when you go for an interview and you cannot speak about those things, they will tell you that you are a cake. Because you must know how to throw them in, even if you've never used them before. You just throw it in. I'm not asking you to go and lie. Don't go and lie, but at least you've read about it. You just say it. When they want to ask you a question about deep, you, you change the thing too. <laughs> you know how to divert a panel? Do like uh, politicians. When they ask them a question that, what do you think about this tax that you say you have to raise? He will say, the thing I know is that we are in a problem. He's not answering the question. We are in a financial problem, and what we need to do is to make sure we get out of that problem. He said, yes, I know, but we're asking about the tax. What are you going to do about the tax? He said, you see, the other thing I know is that... <laughs> so they teach us how to, how to just make sure you don't answer what you don't know how to answer. And answer what you know is right for you to answer. So, you know, don't, just make yourself available. Trust. I'm not saying all the time, but have you ever taken time to ask whether you can do it? Because that may mean a lot of open doors for you. We always say, Lord, promote me like Daniel, promote me like Joseph. But those men knew something others did not know before they got their promotion. May God make you know what others don't know. In the name of Jesus. When your children are coming through teenage and their language is changing, and whether you like it or not, it will change. I'm not cursing you. It's just a reality. We are in two different generations now. And I'm applying myself to understand the different generations the more. They are very different. I have some young people in my team where I work. And I find that those ones that are under 25, there's a different way I relate with them. Because when you give them work, they'll be looking at you as if they don't know what they're doing. (laughs) But they always come out quick with things. So I don't used to mind. They may not make eye contact with you. They may be looking at their phone and doing as if they're not listening to you. In my days, you'll be very irritated if you did that to a line manager. You'll be very irritated. The line manager will tell you off. Who are you? You're looking at your phone. But these ones, they are like that. As you are talking, he's checking what you are saying and trying to look for solutions quickly. Before the meeting ends at times, the thing you think would have taken two days, say, I've got it here, I've got it here. It's just going to be here. We go to this site and this. (laughs) You say, eh, is that true? Okay, go and print it out. (laughs) Go and print it out. That's their generation. And you, you, if not, you have problems. Then when they are the, the ones that are close, I have a spectrum of them in my team. The ones that are more mature and my age, hey, we talk our language the way we, <laughs> we understand each other that way. But these are the things. You have to educate yourself. If not, you don't know. You say all these young, young boys, they're all very unruly. <laughs> very unruly people. <laughs> no, you need to learn. You have to read. Read the mind. Read look for books that says the mind of a teenager in 2022. Go and Google something like that. Just look at it. And then that one will tell you. Then you will say, ah, because the person has researched. They have, they have gone into things. They've done a lot of psychology, checked things. Then when you see it, you say, oh, no wonder. No wonder. When I was, uh, many years ago, when, when my daughter was just coming into teenage, when I enter her room, I say, ah, what is wrong with you? I see everything scattered everywhere. So I used to say, what is wrong with this? Because she's the only daughter I have and all that. Then one day I was just, 
going on the motorway and I, I stayed to listen to Women's Hour. I don't normally listen to it, but somehow it was playing on the radio and I left it. And then one lady called and said, uh, I think I need help. My daughter is going crazy. The lady said, what is she doing? She said, when I reach her room, it's like a bomb site. Everything is everywhere. <laughs> I shouted to the radio. I said, you too? That's what I used to <laughs> I seem they are hearing me. Oh, I said, you too? Ah, so there's no problem. I don't have a problem there. I thought I had a problem. <laughs> so I understand that. Then I understood that it's a phase. It's a phase. They just don't want to be that tidy at that time. So relax. Relax. Don't kill yourself. I think the only time you need to be worried is if it carries on for so long and so long. But the truth is that we need to understand. Number three, our emotions. Our emotions. We need to understand something that our emotions can be very strong and they can be godly if we allow them. Most of the time, if our emotions are not properly sanctified, they will respond to circumstances. They will respond to mood. They will respond to our relationships with others. When people disappoint you, your emotions can be trodden upon. When people let you down, when you, you, you do a business with somebody you trust and they refuse to give you your money or your share of it, especially when you trusted them, it can really affect you and put you in a mood. And you must understand, every one of us must gain capacity over our emotions. We must know how to do Romans chapter 12, verse 15, to know how to rejoice when we ought to rejoice and to mourn when we ought to mourn. We gain mastery over our emotions when they are sanctified. The psalmist gave us a, a situation in Psalm 42. I'd like us to quickly look at Psalm 42, verse 1 to 6. And I'll read quickly because it said, As the deer pants for the water brook, Psalm 42, verse 1 to 6, So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Verse 3 says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? This is Psalm 42. I'm now reading verse 4. He said, when I remember these things, I'm reading to verse 6, Psalm 42. He said, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to, somebody say, I used to go. He said, I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude, and kept a pilgrim's feast. And then verse 5 says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. He said, oh my God, verse 6, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from the heights of Hermon. What am I trying to say here? I just want to encourage you about the power of panting after God. Psalm 42, verse 1, you can see they say, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul, so mine pants my soul, so pants my soul for you, O God. The pursuit of God is what helps you gain mastery over your emotions. Fellowship helps a lot. You see, when we are singing that song this morning, this is how we overcome. This is how we over. You have turned my morning into dancing. When you sing that song alone, it's good. 
when you sing it in a congregation, it gives a different effect. Because it's like a victory chant with your brethren. And when we're all doing it in faith, you find everything that is trying to be depressing, lifting by themselves. You find everything that is trying to weigh you down, automatically finding their way because you are confessing and you are praying by faith with your own brethren. This is why I cannot overemphasize the place of fellowship. We are a generation that is gradually believing that as Christians we can survive alone. After all, we are born again. We've got the Holy Spirit. But the writer of Hebrews says, do not neglect the assembling together of one another. Why? Because there is a power of corporate anointing. When Peter was in prison, it was not one person that prayed for him. It was the church, the collective, the ecclesia. They came together. Let us take the place of fellowship seriously. Recognizing that fellowship is not just a social gathering, but is one of the elements of our development that God has put in place. So when we are finding our emotions, the man said, as I remembered when I used to go, my soul is now depressed and disquieted. But then I remember that there was a time I used to go with my brothers to the house of God. In verse 4, he said, and there was the voice of joy and praise. Don't let the devil ever tell you. The Bible says, therefore, the, the, the redeemed shall return and come with singing unto Zion, which is the church, the place of the gathering of the saints. He said, an everlasting joy shall be upon their head. This is why we come to church with fellowship, we recharge. When we leave, we find ourselves. What the devil is trying to do in our day and age now is to, is to uh, encumber us with so many things that make it difficult for us to have fellowship. A few years ago in this country, we had to meet physically every time. And I would work in places like Coventry. I was working in Coventry in Birmingham. And I remember I would go from early morning, 5 a.m., go and meet with the brethren for prayers at church, drive to Coventry. And at times I would sleep. I would stop and sleep on the way. I'm going to work. I'm going to work as if I'm traveling. I'm going to work. There is a place I have on the A45. I will park there and sleep for about 20 minutes and then catch up and then drive to the office in Coventry and do my work for the day and come back at the end and still have evening fellowship sometimes. Pick my children with their uniform, school uniform, take them to the church like that. Buy McDonald's, buy this thing on the way. Take them to the church like that. We will meet like that. We didn't have Zoom and all these things that we now have today. And today you have all those facilities. You will still see somebody, they are not at work, they are not doing something, and then they are just not there. Because they are feeling sleepy in their own house. You put it on and you are walking about. Drive that sleep away for one hour. Fellowship with your brethren. I want to continue to make sure that we are emphasizing the things that the devil is trying to steal away. These are not popular messages anymore because we have become a very complacent generation, very independent and sadly very arrogant. We must be humble. That I am present in a fellowship means I am humble to accept the fact that I need my brethren. It's not for the sake of a pastor. It's not. Everybody is running this race. When you show up, you show up for yourself and you show up for the brethren. And to the glory of God, you will find yourself under a lot of emotional balance. Otherwise, you will not be able to do many things many times. 
Those of us that have come from other countries and are living here, it's like we're living in two worlds. At times you get a phone call and it can be very, very demanding on you in terms of your emotional being. If you don't have control by the grace of God over it, you'll be troubled and it will affect your work here. Nobody can hear that, God forbid, that a parent is sick and they're really sick and then you can have a balanced life in what you're doing if you truly love that parent. But with your balance of emotions, you find yourself being able to still commit that matter to God. So God wants us to be a people whose emotions are continuously balanced like the psalmist, continually panting after God. So I want us to please be encouraged. Let's take advantage of every opportunity we have to give. Well,